Hi, I'm Rob Jepson, and my mission is to help sales leaders everywhere create record-setting growth in the companies they lead. I'm here to share the secrets of the world's most successful sales leaders. I don't care how big the company or how big the team, we showcase sales leaders that are taking what the market gives and then some. We feature leaders and teams that are beating their markets, winning at crazy rates, and doing it predictably and sustainably. The Sales Leadership Podcast is brought to you by Exvoyant, the one-on-one sales improvement platform that's transforming how high-growth sales leaders use Salesforce around the world. Create one-on-ones your reps will thank you for, and use Exvoyant to help your sales managers create unique plans for every rep on your team. Now, get ready for some serious insights from sales leaders that are making it happen, and remember, don't worry, we've got you. Hello and welcome to the Sales Leadership Podcast, where high-growth sales leaders share high-growth practices and tactics. Today, we are joined by Todd Capone. Todd is everywhere right now. I'm not kidding. If you're not following him, you need to start immediately because his stuff is that good. He has had all the leadership jobs, including multiple stints as VP of sales and CRO with high-growth companies, but he's walked away from that to write his best-selling book, The Transparency Sale. Now, this book was recognized with 2019's Best Book Award in the sales category at the American Book Awards, and it's something you're going to want to get your hands on. Uh, I have Todd on this week for very specific reasons that come from some of the stuff he's written in that book. Todd specializes in helping organizations create a more confident and frictionless sales experience, something that could not be more important right now, right? He's worked with sales with companies of all shapes and sizes, from startups to very mature and very successful companies. And right now, he can help sales organizations everywhere create a more authentic experience by using transparency the right way. I can't tell you how excited I am to have him join us. I've been working on getting Todd on the show for quite a while now. Todd, welcome to the show, and thank you for joining us. Gosh, if the interview is going to be anything like that intro, I cannot wait. That was awesome. And I can't, I'm so excited to be on. Well, I'm excited to have you. As you know, I've been trying to make this happen. In fact, for the listeners, I, I almost tried to do this as a remote recording when I was getting ready to go into a meeting with a customer because <laughs> I wanted him on our show so bad. And so, Todd, I'm, I'm excited to have you, man. Thank uh, you. Welcome. D- do us a favor and our listeners a favor. Why don't you tell us about you, your firm, and, and what you do for your customers? Yeah, so I am a little bit of a counterintuitive neuroscience nerd, if that makes any sense. So just counterintuitive neuroscience nerd. Yeah. So, you know, I've got books behind me, but I'm not a big book reader. I am every day, I'm committed to reading uh, science and research. So I dig into, I've got a subscription to a service that gives me access to about a thousand different research journals. And I love to read neuroscience, behavioral science research with a sales frame on and be able to take those concepts into the sales world because, gosh, neuroscientists have pinpointed how we as human beings make decisions. And I think there's a huge opportunity for us to take that not only into the sales world, but certainly into the sales leadership world. How do we create true engagement from our sales organization so that our reps want to come, want to stay, want to tell their friends and want to run through a brick wall for you? So, that's what I do. I take the, I call it amalgamating sales and science into programs. Uh, so I deliver workshops. I do a lot of speaking. I do some advisory work and, and that's what we do. Um, I'm really focused on organizations that are, um, a lot of my customer base is in tech because that's what I know. 
um, but it's delivering programs around transparency and positioning, presenting, prospecting. And then the one that blows the doors off of everybody is transparent negotiating, which wow. is a cards face up approach to negotiating that has had incredible results that blows my mind every single time. And I love delivering it. I cannot wait to dive into this before we do uh, last bit of you uh, just for our listeners. And, and frankly, for me, I always find it interesting how you got into sales. Everybody's journey is different. I, I, I used to say I'd never found someone that said I want to be in sales growing up. And about a couple of weeks ago, someone actually told me you're meeting that person right now, Rob. And uh, what's your story? How'd you get into sales? How'd it lead you to where you are now? Yeah, it was accidental. So I, I'm one of those people that was not set on sales as a career, but my dad was. My dad spent $45 or $45, 45 years spending or you know, selling um, corrugated moving boxes. Like that's oh. what he did. And he was the freaking king of it. And he would come home from work with a smile on his face and such great relationships. And so I always envied that, but I went to uh, college to get into marketing, went to Indiana University, but here's what changed it. Uh, junior year, I was looking for a job. I was sitting in a marketing class and a woman that was running the Indiana Daily Student newspaper came in and was talking about sales jobs at the Indiana Daily Student. And so I applied, I got the job. And so I started selling as a junior in college, selling newspaper ads for my university newspaper. And I was pretty good at it. And I really, really loved it. And that's what kicked it all off. What a great story. I love it. I I love all these people I meet that are accidentally involved, but intentionally successful, right? Yeah. And and, uh, then we get into it. So, so let's just dive in, man. I mean, this is going to be a really cool conversation. And for our sales leaders, you know, get your notepad ready because we're going we're gonna to dive in and talk about something that we haven't talked about on the show. I mean, you're an expert in this topic, and, and I think it's really, really relevant right now. And it spoke to me, and that's why I wanted to have you on. Let's talk about transparency and sales. Now, first of all, what does it even mean? And second, why is it important? Well, let's, I'll start with a story. So yeah. my last role, I was the chief revenue officer of a company in Chicago called Power Reviews. Okay. So Power Reviews but you can probably tell by the name, we helped retailers and brands collect and display ratings and reviews on their website. So Crocs, like you're buying a pair of shoes, you look at the shoes, you scroll down, you see the reviews. That was us helping with the collect and display, okay. right? And so we were, we were on fire. We were the fastest growing tech company in Chicago from 2014 to 2017. Congrats. Um, yeah, and it was like, it was a, a start over. It's a crazy long story, but the point is, Um, We did a study with Northwestern University here in town, and it looked at, all right, when a website is acting as the salesperson, what do consumers do? And number one thing, no surprise, we all look at reviews today, right? So 96% of us will look at a review before we buy something we haven't bought before that's of medium to high consideration. So like not a box of Tic Tacs, but something that means something. But the thing that changed my life, like I read it. I started testing it. I quit my job and wrote a book. 82% of us go to the negative reviews first. So you're buying something online. You skip past the fives and you go right to the fours, threes, twos, and ones. So that's number one. Number two is when a product, and this is across all product categories, but when a product's average review score is between a four, two and a four, five, those products sell at a higher rate, higher conversion than any other score, including a five, all right? So a four, two, a product that's got an average four, two, that's got negative reviews, sells better 
than a product that's got nothing but perfect, nothing but five. So I looked at that and I was like, all right, that's when a website is acting as the salesperson. What happens in human to human, B2B? And is there something from a behavioral or neuroscience perspective that wires us that way? And I found a gold mine that yes, we are all wired. We are, our brains are prediction machines. And we know because of the way we're wired and it's, I mean, we all kind of just assume that perfection doesn't exist, but we're actually wired that way. When we are presented with something that is nothing but perfect, our brains put up barriers and everything kind of goes through a BS filter. And so we're wired as human beings to seek the negative first and then use that as the baseline. And so when we talk about transparency, I started trying it where I went into a customer engagement and the, the story is kind of funny, but um, I was thinking I was having coffee with the head of e-commerce of a big apparel manufacturer up in New York. When I walked in, it was just me. I thought it was just going to be me and him. He brought his whole team into the room and showed me how to plug my laptop into his monitor. And I was like, what's going on? Apparently I'm presenting. And, uh, and so the guy in New York style just came right at me and was like, we're looking at your competitor. We're looking at you. How are you better? And I had just digested all of this stuff. And I'm like, right, I, I'm going to try it. And if it sucks, it doesn't work. None of my coworkers here. So I'll make up what happened. Right. But yeah, I love it. Yeah. So, so I said, Hey, before I go too deep, can I start by telling you how they're better than us? Cause they literally just released something that not only do we not have, but it's not on our roadmap and their first customer is in the apparel space. So they're going to be coming at you with that. So can we start there? And if that's going to be really important, I'm going to save all of these people a ton of time and save my team time flying to New York. Well, fast forward to the end. This normally would have been a six month sales cycle with an RFP and a whole team flying in full dog and pony. They literally threw out their whole evaluation process. This guy showed me his physical budget by the end of the meeting. Wow. And they made a decision for us in 10 days. Shut and up. That never happened in my entire career. And I was like, and that was the first time I tried it. And I was like, oh dude, like this is crazy. But the, the point is transparency is about leading with your flaws, leading with your imperfections. And it does multiple things. Obviously it speeds sales cycles because it builds your relationship on a foundation of trust, but it increases your win rates. You work the deals you should be working. You lose the deals you're going to lose anyway. You just lose them faster and you make it really, really hard on your competitors. And so that's what transparency is. When you think that consumers seek the negatives first, human beings seek the negatives first too. And it's about leading with your flaws, leading with the things that might not fit in their environment. And when that happens, magic happens and that the rest, like, you know, a few more trials at it. Next thing I know, I'm uh, deciding between three publishers and writing a book on it. Wow. All right. So that's what transparency is. And, I, and, and, I, and I'm, I'm interested to find out why it matters so much right now. And so, um, Let's talk about it from the, from, the, from the leaders that are listening to our show right now. I got a bunch of sales leaders, thousands of sales leaders listening to you and I kind of talk. Talk to, talk to our leaders about you know, why they should be thinking about transparency and how they help create go-to-market with the reps that they have, maybe even particularly in, in the current day that we're in. Yeah, so there's, there's so much there. Like We could probably yeah. nerd out on this for a while, but number Let's one- do it. Like we talked about, like the, the behavioral science tells us that transparency sells better than perfection, right? I mean, like- Is there a that. reason for that? I mean, is, can, you, can you point to a reason why? Well, yeah. I mean, 
we're inherently wired to resist being influenced. Like, you know, yeah. when you walk into a car dealer, like you feel like, oh, here it comes. Like, I'm going to need to take a shower afterwards, right? right. Because like the BS machine is going to be coming at me and I've got to see through it. Right. And so when we're actually leading with our flaws, that, that what's kind of like a limbic filter right in the middle of your brain, it, it comes down because you've built your relationship on trust and then all your positives flow right through. Hmm. Um, so, you know, first of all, the behavioral science tells us it sells better, but the proliferation of reviews and feedback and everything we do, everything we buy, everything we experience means we have to do it anyway, right? If you're in the tech space, like you better know your G2 score and your trust radius score. If even if you're not, go to Google and write in what is it like to work with and then put your company name in there. I bet you the first thing that comes up is your Glassdoor. Right? And and Glassdoor, do you think buyers care about the Glassdoor score? Yeah, they actually do because they're not just buying you, they're buying your people. And Glassdoor is a place where current and former employees can leave reviews about the culture, the experience of working there, right? And you're going to be working with them. So now it's become urgent that we have to do it. You can't hide your flaws and expect to get away with it. So, you know, kind of taking that a third leg further to your point about now, like why now? Well, that's number one reason now. Number two reason now is, gosh, if you thought consensus selling was hard, consensus buying has just become infinitely harder because your buyers are all sitting in their houses, right? They can't just walk out in the hallway and go, hey, hey, Bob, like, are you cool with this? Right? So you've got to remove friction from the buying journey because if you don't, then you're creating more homework on the buyers and the buyers are actually wired to um, be biased towards the simplest path to the biggest reward. And I would add one thing to that, Todd, and, and keep your thought. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I do it all the time. I'm, I'm sorry. It won't be the first time it happens on this conversation. <laughs> um, I, I haven't seen any data on it. I should call my friends over at, at Challenger um, who kind of came out with some of that first Challenger customer consensus buying data. Yep. I got to think that right now consensus buying is even nastier, you know, because nobody will make uh, an unpopular decision right now. Nobody. Everything's going to the CFO's desk. A hundred percent of the decisions that I'm seeing right now have more people involved. So I would imagine that consensus buying actually has more fingers on it than ever before. Absolutely. And, and it's harder, right? Like every time that you've got to get your buying team together, it's a formal meeting versus, you know, maybe you could slack or something, but, I'm not seeing a lot of that. I'm just seeing that being a challenge. But I'll tell you, like one of the behavioral science things that I find so interesting is that like, if you think back to high school, like, I don't know if you remember your high school English class where they assigned you a book report to do. Yeah. Like, I remember mine. They were like, here, you have to do a book report. Here's 50 books to choose from and pick whatever book from that list. Like, what did you do? Well, the first thing I did is like, all right, which one has a movie? Number two is like, which one has Cliff's notes already? Uh, did I read any of these already? And then, and then I chose one, right? The reason I say that is when we think about like the highest reward, the highest ROI, and we try to lead with that in our positioning, the, the buyer's brain is actually wired to take the shortest path to the, the highest reward, right? Like I'm going to choose a book that either has a movie or Cliff notes. So I can get an A minus because that's better than me picking Moby Dick and reading a 700 page book and trying to get the A plus, right? Right. And so when we think about our buyers right now, they're all doing the same thing. They're looking at, hey, what is the reward and what's the priority? But what's going to be the easiest way to get there? Like what's the easiest mm-hmm. path? And 
when when you present your solutions as being a perfect five, like we're flawless, we're awesome for you. Right. We're actually right. driving buyers to do more homework because subconsciously they know that doesn't exist. When you lead with your flaws and you embrace transparency, you're actually doing the homework for them. You're saying, here's what's going to be great. Here's the risk. Here's the potential issues. And let's talk through those and make sure you're comfortable with that and weigh those. And if that risk is too high for you, tell me, we'll move on with our lives, right? It's, it's a trust building exercise, but in a consensus buying environment, take the homework burden off the buyer, lead with your flaws and help them paint the full picture. I like that. You know, so leading with the flaws removes homework. It actually makes that buying. So, so it, does doing that make them start to, instead of you saying, here's why that doesn't matter. Does it actually flip it around and they start saying, Oh, let me tell you why that one's less important to me, unless it happens to be very important. Right. If it's marginally important, do they start to marginalize it for you when you follow that? That was what, that was what happened in that apparel example. It was Calvin Klein, by the way, in New York. Okay. Um, where I Little led company with, you may have heard of. Yeah. Yes, exactly. And it was, I led with what our competitor had just released that wasn't on our roadmap. And I was like, let's talk through it. And I was literally, I mean, this is, this, I know it sounds crazy, but I was selling on behalf of our competitor. I was like, here's what it does. Here's the, the benefit of it. Their first customer is Gap, right? Same space. And they're going to be, they're going to be talking to you about this and like, let's talk through the importance of it for you. And so they all started saying like the one person was just like, why would I go to a ratings and reviews provider for that? And they're like, oh, they're laughing wow. about it. And yeah. at the end, the, the head of e-commerce just kind of comes back to me and was like, I think we all feel pretty comfortable that that's not going to be important on our buying decision. I'm like, all right, cool. So let's talk about power reviews and what we do. And so I started to go into that and they were all like, I mean, there was no like New York, like, oh, here comes the sales pitch. It was all a relaxed, like I was one of their buddies and I was trying to help them make a decision versus me being the power reviews guy trying to pound it down their throat. Yeah. So that's why transparency matters is it yes. brings, it brings guard down. It totally. helps you take your guard comes down much, much sooner. Yeah. It's, and you can get to a, a decision faster. Here's the thing. When you think about leading with transparency, when I talked about buyer homework, when you lead with transparency and the buyers go do their own homework and finds it matches exactly with what you just said, their burden of homework goes down. And that's why, you know, part of the homework for all of your sales leaders to think about is if you were in the buyer's shoes, what homework would you do to try to predict your experience with you and start to pull that and curate that information together, work with marketing to nail what your messaging should be? but it should match what the buyers are going to find anyway. And when it does, that's when the magic happens. That's when sales cycles shrink, you know, uh, corporate executive board, the challenger people yeah. back in 2017, they had done a study on how much time buyers spend in purchasing. Like what did they spend their time on? And it turns out only 39% of the buyer's time is spent talking to you, talking to your competitors or talking to their internal buying group. 61% is spent doing other stuff. And that other stuff is back channeling you and getting at the answers they don't get from you. That 61% is not a foregone conclusion. When you lead with transparency, that 61% shrinks and along with it, your sales cycles shrink too. That, that's gold right there. So you're, I love that. So that 61% doesn't have to be a fixed cost or, a, or a whatever. It can be a variable cost if we're looking at it in like hurdles that you have to jump to get to the close, to the finish exactly. line, right? Exactly. Exactly. You do their homework, you help them predict the future. 
And when you become that person and they don't have to do more homework, again, thinking back to your high school uh, book report, it's the shortest path to the biggest reward. And now I know what I'm getting myself into. Risk is reduced. Trust is built. And I can go into my consensus buying group and say, here's the pros, here's the cons. It matches with everything I've said. Let's go. Wow, this is this is super interesting to me. I mean, this reminds me of a Seinfeld episode where George Costanza said, I've got to do the opposite. I've got to do whatever I think. I've got to do the opposite. That I remember that episode specifically. Exactly. Yeah. It was like, I'm unemployed and I live in my parents' I'm basement. bald, I'm unemployed, and I live with my parents. Yes, and she's exactly. like, hey, how you doing, right? And so, and so that's like literally what you're talking about right now. Well, yeah, there's a, there's a scene from the movie Eight Mile that everybody uh, yeah. talks about too. Um, yeah. You know, in the final, basically, it's kind of a wrap off. And he leads with all the things that the other guy's probably going to rip him about and basically completely undercuts him in that final battle. That's exactly it. But it works in a sales capacity, not only from a behavioral science perspective, but we got to do it anyway. So do you ever find people say it makes sense, but I'm terrified to do it? Yeah, all the time. And there's... That, yeah. I feel like I'm in a I'm in an airplane. I'm supposed to go skydiving. I think my parachute's going to hold me, but I'm <laughs> I'm afraid to make this jump and step out and really find out if this parachute's going to work or not. Right? Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I think about it this way. Like, I'm sure you've been to an IKEA before, right? Unfortunately, like, yeah. yeah I mean, that, favorite... <laughs> that's that's the answer, right? Like IKEA, yeah. they've been the number one furniture retailer in the world for ten years in a row, and they did not know that. Yeah, that across the world, number one. And like, you know, you got to find it. There's no salesperson around. So you got to go to the warehouse yourself. You have to go through their maze. You got to go through. Yeah. Like the boxes weigh 400 pounds. You put them on a cart that doesn't have brakes. You jam them into the back of your car, Tetris style. You drive home with an injury. You open the box thinking you just left the fun at the store, but then there's 150 parts with no words on the instructions. And then you get done building it you get a little endorphin rush and you're like, gosh, we should have bought the end tables with this bedroom set. The, The point is, Ikea wins by saying, hey, listen, there's things we're giving up so we can be great at our core, right? Our core is giving you modern Scandinavian design furniture you didn't pay much for. What we're giving up is that, like, you're going to have to do the stuff yourself. Thinking about your own organization, like, what are you not? What are you giving up to be great at your core? Like, even in my business, if somebody comes to me and says, hey, I need a prospecting class, Cool. I know some awesome people that can help with that. That's not me. Here is my focus, right? I think all of us need to sit back and go, all right, what is our core? What are we really investing in to be great? What are we giving up to be great at that core? And lead with it. The magic that happens when you do that is amazing. All right. So, so you're a sales leader. You want to start saying, okay, let's, let's try and make, because what I like about this is you know, guy that I just had on my show, uh, very, very recently, Mike Bosworth, he's the first one I heard say it, make how you sell more important than what you sell. That's what you're doing. It's a modern version of making how you sell more important than what you sell. Um, so what are some things, if I'm a sales leader and I want to start giving this a try, what are some things I can start doing to help my, my reps be more transparent? Well, I mean, gosh, it starts at the top, right? I think um, from a leadership perspective, there's a lot of science around um, the, the way that leaders engage their sales organization and making them feel like they've got the rope to go to that. There are a lot of leaders out there that, you know, still are under the impression that we are perfect and we need to present that and hope the customer doesn't find out. Like step one for every leader is to recognize that leading with transparency sells better than perfection. 
and we've got to do it anyway. So that's number one. Hmm. But then number two, yeah, it's to go empathize with your buyers. What are they going to find when they do the homework on their own? And you control that. You've got the opportunity to control that message, right? To lead with it and to frame it the way that you want to frame it. You know, if I didn't lead with the fact that we didn't have that add-on and I, I chose not to talk about it um, at the beginning of that conversation with Calvin Klein, what would have happened? Well, the customer would have found out on their own and now the, the competitor controls the messaging around that add-on, right? Right. So in this instance, we control the delivery of that. I literally acted as the salespeople of our competitor, right? So wow. we've got to be able to give rope around that, number one. Number two is I think sales leaders here as a CRO, like I had 60 people on my team. But the one thing that I got wrong originally was that I was so focused on early stage pipeline. Like, why don't you have enough deals in your pipeline? Right. And so right. we're basically discouraging reps from qualifying deals out at the beginning. Right. Like, I mean, you could probably see that. So yep. why would I lead with transparency? Cause if I do, this deal is not going to be in the pipeline. I'm going to get in trouble for it. Right. So I always looked at there's, there's four KPIs that I cared about, but I had to look at all four, not one in a silo, right? Like okay. how many deals are you working on? Um, you know, how big is each one? What is our win rate on those? And what are cycle lengths? Okay. Those are the four. And so maybe you've got a lower amount of deals you're working on, but that's cool. If your win rate's higher on each one, the deal your, sizes are or higher. Or your deal size is bigger, yeah. And you're, and you're closing them faster, right? So I think just from a, a sales leader's perspective, we need to give the rope to the sales reps to work the deals we should be winning. And the way you do that is leading by you know, leading with transparency. If you're gonna lose, lose fast, right? That's the old axiom. Right. Well, this is how you do it. Let's talk about how we institutionalize that because you know, it's easy to say, yeah, we wanna do that. How, how do we institutionalize that? How, do, do you have to change your playbooks? Do you have to change how you do one-on-ones? What are, what are areas that leaders need to change if they wanna make this part of who they are? Well, I think first of all, and I, I'll, I joke that uh, supermodel Tyra Banks of okay. all people, coined yep. the term flossom, right? The word okay. flossom, which is to embrace your flaws, but know that you're still awesome. So the, the first thing that I just warn people about. That's going to be our title for this, the flossom <laughs> approach to something. <laughs> exactly. Um, you know, I'm not telling anybody to go out into the world and say, hey, this is why we suck, right? Like that's taking it too far. That four, two to four, five that I talked about at the beginning is an important window to hit, right? Because if, if you if you truly suck, you're going to be out of business anyway. And you'll see that when you lead with transparency, the deals that you do, you'll see, especially like in a SaaS environment, you're going to see renewals go up, churn go down because expectations have been set the proper way. Right. And so that's when you think about your playbooks, you know, first of all, your messaging has got to be timely around what are your customers going to find when they do mm. their own homework. And how do you message around that in a way that hits that flossom four, two to four, five. And so institutionalizing that is so important that we've got to be able to give our, our sales team, sales organization, the rope, but the content to be able to do that in the right way and not take it too far. So I think that's a, that's a huge step. Um, is it important when you're figuring out these flaws that make you floss some? Is it important to understand how those flaws can, are important or unimportant? Is that an important part, part of the conversation as well? 
Well, yeah. I mean, from a customer to customer basis. Yeah. You mean? Yeah, yeah, I mean, absolutely. Because I honestly, with Calvin Klein, thought there was a decent chance that our competitor's add-on was going to be really important to them. And so I wanted to lose fast, right? Like, if that's going to be it, tell me. And so I, I presented it because it was an apparel company that it was their first beta customer that all their stats, like all their, uh, you know, the, all the, like the great ROI they were getting mattered, right? So yeah, I think that, hitting on the things that if it, it's a true empathy play. Okay. Putting yourself into the shoes of your customer and going, all right, for this customer, what are they going to look at, look at? What are they going to care about? And why might not I be perfect for them? Right. It's like you walk into an Ikea and you say, listen, I need a salesperson to help me design my living room. I'm going to need this stuff delivered to my house and feng shui in my living room. Ikea is going to be like, cool. I'm going to recommend room and board down the street. It's four doors down, go there. But that's the way we need to think about it is to understand what the requirements are of our customers. Our job is to be their Sherpa through the buying journey. And if the decision is don't climb the mountain, don't climb the mountain. But when do you stop talking about the flaws and start talking about the, the, the sumness of so flaw sum? When do we stop? When do we move from flaw to the awesome part? I mean, is there an art to that? Is there a science to that? Yeah. I mean, yeah. There's a bit of an art. I mean, it's, again, it's being transparent. It's that four, two to four, five. Yeah. It's leading with, hey, here's what we're not good at. But if you're cool with those things, here was what we're going to be fantastic at, right? And so in every one of the cases that we tried this, we saw the sales cycle shrink down and trust build and our win rate go up. It was basically just leading with, here's something that given your circumstance and our knowledge of your industry and what you probably care about, here's one thing that we don't do great. And once we vet that, go right to the positive. For example, one of my customers um, sells uh, tools for creating online interactive training. They're native to Windows. Okay. If you've got a Mac, it doesn't work as well. And so right. they started going into these sales cycles saying, hey, listen, if, you, if you're a Mac environment, you can either create a virtual machine or you're not going to like us. And what they found is that they stopped working on deals that they were going to lose anyway. They were losing them really, really fast. But that was it. They'd start with that and go, if you're cool with that, let's dig into the, the goodness. And, and what they found is the trust built, the sales cycle sped up, and all the magic that comes along with it. I like it. Okay, what about pre-call planning? Does that change how reps should plan for calls? Yeah, a little bit. I think you need to be able to understand, like, what are the, the things that – our flaws about what we do that are going to matter to the customers. Now, and that's why I think it's, it's hard to put all the burden on the sales or sales leadership team. Like this is where you need marketing. Okay. Um, you know, what we did as an organization is to start to look at, we read all of our G2 reviews, all of our trust radius reviews. We looked at our glass door reviews. We pulled those down. We had a list of a couple uh, that were like, these are things that will probably matter to a lot of customers. Um, or things they're going to find anyway. Like three years ago, we were acquired and then divested. That's out there. We probably should hit that because that's a weird stage in our organization. So depending on some customers, we would talk about those things, right? Mm -hmm. so, so we would have our basically our short list and based on the customers we were talking to, um, we would be able to pick off like which one is probably the right one to lead with. I like it. And, um, and do you like... Now I'm now I'm like like I'm I'm thinking this through. I mean, 
you can think of flaws that might seem scarier and less scary. Do you start with less scary flaws or do you just go for the, the big one right from the get-go? I mean, any, any advice on that? But the magic comes in the empathy, right? Like, you know, yeah. you, you going into one of your customers and going, here's what X-Point's great at. Like, here's what it, it's maybe not. Like a customer yeah. like yours might not like this. Right. And it's just, it's customer, it's the magic of empathy, right? It's customer by customer. You right now could walk into any prospect and know enough about what might not be perfect about the way this experience might go and be able to lead with that. And that, that's where, I mean, it, it takes some practice to get there. So done right, it's actually a different form of personalization, isn't it? As oh, I listen yeah. to you, because you're, I mean, you're saying, from what I understand about you, da 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 Yes. You know, this may be a problem, right? I don't know unless I have the conversation, but yeah, it, it actually is a different form of personalization. Oh, exactly. You know, the, one of the funny things, when I wrote the first draft of the book, yeah. um, my editor beat the crap out of it. Um, and like, that's what editors do. But I had this whole part in there that I thought was funny, but she hated it, uh, which was like, imagine in, your, in the dating world, like you have an online dating profile and you list right. out on the profile a couple of things that she might not like, right? Like, you know, that uh, on weekends, you'd like, you'll tear through a 12 pack of Miller Lite or whatever, you know, whatever it is, but like leading with those things. And you might find somebody who's like, I love Miller Lite too. Like, that's perfect, right? But, <laughs> but that's, that's the whole point is, you know, what are a couple of the things that are pretty consistent that maybe is something that's, different or a bit of a flaw about you again you got to hit that four two to four five though don't go too far it, this isn't a uh, laundry list of reasons why you suck you're not looking at the ones and the twos you're looking exactly. at the four twos i think that's a really interesting perspective and say you know what what are my four twos to four fives that's got to be part of how you do this is to say what are our version and maybe your customers help you with that are your customers should they be involved in, in doing this yeah that, i mean absolutely ask your customers talk to them but I'll tell you, like, there's a lot of companies that I go in and train. And one of the things I do, if it's a tech company, I, I read most of their G2s and trust radius uh, reviews. Yeah. And I will find in every single case, a one star or two star review. And it might be something horrible, like, uh, like a terrible service experience, or you, you know, you released a new release and you sunsetted the old one and didn't tell us, you know, like those types of things. And those are the types of things that we've got to be prepared for. That if, if it's, I mean, so it could be the ones and the twos out there. If there's enough of them, you better be ready to address it. It's it just addressing the elephant in the room, you know, disarm the whole room with what, you know, the customer is either already found or they're going to find if they do their own homework. But that's, it, it's a great exercise too, in, in surveying your current customers. Like if, if, if somebody back channeled us and talked to you, what would be the pros and the cons and understanding what those customers thought about the experience about, you know, what you're delivering. That's another great uh, data point. What about when it fails? I'm sure sometimes it fails. Is there any reasons that reps or leaders or teams might make this approach fail? Or is there, when, when you do it wrong, I mean, is it pretty spectacular? Uh, yeah. I mean, doing it wrong means taking it too far, okay. right? Like, yay, we, uh, you know, like we just got sued. Like, you know, it's when you, when you take it, <laughs> like when you take it too far. Um, yeah. I mean, like the goal is you're basically disarming that buying brain and that resistance to influence that we're all wired to try to resist. It's like, you know, somebody walking up your driveway, holding a clipboard and a little bag 
and they're all well-dressed, what do you do? Like you close the drapes and tell the kids to get in the basement, right? Because we don't want to be sold to. Right. So it's a disarming mechanism in the process. And, and like, that's it. Right? Let me ask you another question on that. Then I've always said that, that the, that trust is the currency of relationships mm-hmm. and, and we trade on trust and in the absence of trust, it's hard to sell because people just say you're a salesperson. I, I put up my barriers on you. So does this help build have, does this help create the kind of conversations that build trust? Well, yeah, they, the mantra that I always talk about is um, every interaction that a potential customer has with you either builds or erodes trust. Like every time they see your company name, every time they see your phone number pop up on their caller ID, it's either building or eroding trust. It's just yes. the way it is. Agreed. And, and when we lead with trust building, we start, you know, with house money. Like that's, that's mm. where you want to start versus the other way around where you come in with like, hey, we're awesome. We're perfect. You're actually eroding trust because they're like, all right, I know I shouldn't believe this person yet. Like, when's the truth coming? So yeah, it's, it's, uh, the magic of it is building a foundation of trust that will pay you through the whole sales cycle. And as a result, when they, again, like think about the last time you bought something from somebody that you really, really trusted. Right. You probably bought it pretty fast, right? You didn't feel the need to do more homework. You didn't feel the need to stretch it out. You didn't feel the need that you had to go find more sources to get the true story so you could go justify this. I trust you, Rob. So let's like, you've just given me all the pieces that I need to be able to make a decision. The decision's made. So the more you say, the more I like this. And so I, to wrap this up, cause we're starting to run up on it. It's crazy how the time goes by fast. <laughs> so for the leaders are like, yeah, I want to give that a try. I mean, obviously buy your book, give you a call, stuff like that. Yeah. Do those things. And you like, you know, top three non-negotiables that you really ought to be thinking about if you want to make this part of how you go to market? Well, yeah. Number one is if you're presenting your solutions as perfect, you're probably um, not doing things as efficiently as you possibly could, right? Like just start with, is our messaging painting the picture that we are all things to all people? Like that's number one. Um, Number two is to do the homework, you know, truly empathize with your buyers, go to Google and just search. What is it like to work with our company? and see what a buyer is going to find. If you're in the tech space, look at those. But every space right now has got methods to be able to back channel independent sources, analysts, peers, uh, agencies. Like go do the homework and then go to your marketing department and make it a regular part of their role. I think in this current environment with the proliferation of reviews and feedback everywhere, that marketing needs to constantly be curating updated information about what people are saying about them. You know, the the guy that invented the Instant Pot, he's got like a million reviews on Amazon. He reads every single one every single week, right? Really? Yeah, still does. Like that's how he manages his business. He needs to know the current state of the customer base and make adjustments and acknowledge when things are going wrong. We all need to be doing that. So like that's number two. And then number three is encourage your reps to lose fast, right? To... Do I mean, transparency is a magic bullet when it comes to truly qualifying the deals in that you should be working and truly qualify deals out the ones that you're going to lose anyway. And you're going to, that opportunity cost of working bad deals, when you find out, like imagine at Calvin Klein, if four months down the road, after we had gone through this whole process, they call and they're like, hey, we're going with your competitors because we want that ad retargeting thing. I would have been like, I wish I'd known that. Yeah, I, I wish just I'd wasted known. four months. So yeah. encourage your reps 
to lose fast, don't only look at pipeline load, start to look at those other elements of their KPIs, look at them all in a silo, and you'll see the reps that are working the deals they should be winning because it'll be reflected in their deal sizes, win rates, and cycle lengths. It's good. I love it. This is awesome. I'm, you got me really interested. I, 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 I'm thinking through what that will be like and how, you know, how different it is. I guess it's not that different if you do it the right way. It's only different if you get stupid with it. Right. And, and um, because you will come across as much more authentic. And in the world where we're saying the great, you know, I, I've heard this said in different ways and you probably have as well. And what I'm about to say could be said tons of different ways. The current environment has really shown which emperors have no clothes. There's been a lot of poor sales organizations and poor salespeople that are being exposed. And there's a lot of great sales organizations and great salespeople that are being like reiterated as like, this is how you do it. Yeah. And so in the world of authenticity matters and people don't like having salespeople try to take advantage of them or whatever, this is just really playing that authenticity button, right? Yeah. I mean, there's two things. I mean, first of all, Gallup every year issues a listing of the most to least trusted professions. And every single year dragging up the bottom is salespeople, members of Congress and senators, right? Like, wow. it's yeah. like, you know, worse to, it's like un unbelievable. I, you know, for the sales profession to continue to flourish, we need to certainly be more like Sherpas or personal trainers to our buyers like and that. less like slimy car salespeople or whatever. And so I think that like number one is to be seen as an asset to the buying journey versus a necessary evil. We need to start embracing these things anyway. But number two is, you know, there is a difference between authenticity and transparency, right? Authenticity is being genuine. It's being you. Transparency is basically putting an empty oh. chair next to you and pretending that's the customer and going, what could I say internal to my own organization that I couldn't say to the customer sitting here mm. and start to embrace those things, right? Got it. That's what transparency is. It's uncovering so the things that the customer is going to find out they're going to experience and, and lead with it. And the magic that feeds from that, I think will pay you dividends almost instantly. Uh, you've been amazing. Uh, we're, we're, I am so grateful you've had this conversation. This is, you're going to get a lot of questions I'm sure from our listeners about how you do stuff because this, this is like a Mr. Miyagi, you wax on and wax <laughs> off and suddenly you can, you're, you're, you're a ninja, right? <laughs> and, and, right. Uh, and I love it. Let's, let's wrap this up uh, the way we wrap up every episode and then we'll tell them how to get in touch with you. And I can't believe that the time has gone as fast as it has. I, I always wrap it up the same way every time. Three questions uh, to everyone. You ready? Yep. Okay. Number one, what do you think the biggest sales leadership challenges that people face right now and how do you overcome it? Well, there could be a really long answer, so I'll try to shorten it. First of all, I think that um, if we're using variable compensation to motivate our sales reps, we're doing it wrong. Variable compensation should be the reward for doing work that you are intrinsically motivated to do. So and good. intrinsic motivation is driven by things other than comp. Comp is one-sixth of it. It's things like um, you know, recognizing, giving feedback on a regular basis. It's things like helping them predict what their world is going to be like. It's things like giving them freedom and autonomy to do their best every single day. It's things like function, meaning their work matters to you, to the customers, to the customers, customers. It's things like family, which is things like I, I, I've got security and numbers. I've got safety. Like I'm a part of a team. And if I'm home all by myself, 
subconsciously our survival mechanisms kicking in a little bit. So we need to make sure that we're pulling everybody together and being like family. And then that last one is fairness. Is the juice worth the squeeze? Am I getting the rewards in the form of all of those things? Uh, is it worth the effort that I'm putting in? So I think right now we need to really be looking at engagement and not just comp and, oh, we got to lower quotas because the economy's hurt, right? We've got to be looking at all a balance of all of the things that contribute to engagement. And it is a lot harder right now when all your reps are remote. So you've got to think really um, proactively and aggressively around that. Really good answer. I love that. Okay, number two. Thank you for sharing that. That's super insightful. Um, this, is a, this is a fan favorite. So when you're interviewing members of a team or you're helping people build a team, is there a go-to interview question or topic? And what is it you're actually looking for when you, when you use this? Well, yeah, I think it feeds off of that engagement thing. Okay. Um, so, gosh, I mean, I'm sure if you ask this question, you've gotten a lot of answers that are a lot the same. There's a question that I used to love to ask that would get me, and what I'm looking for here, I'll tell you in a minute. But the question is, if you had to go stand in front of 500 random people right now, okay. what would you feel comfortable teaching them? Wow, that's a great one, Todd. I love it. And, yeah, and what that gets at is all I'm looking for is are you capable of passion about something? Yeah. Are you capable of doing the extra work to gain an expertise in anything? Like I've had people say, I could talk to you about NASCAR, like 500 random people. There might be a couple that know more than me, but I could kill it with 498 of them. Like, cool, right? Like I just, I want something beyond, um, like I could tell you about my kids. Like, all right, great. I'm glad you're passionate about your kids. But like, is there something, are you capable of getting passionate about something? Because when you find that, those are the reps that you're going to find are truly engaged if you create the right environment for them. Dude, so good. Todd, I love you more every, every second you're on the show. This is, <laughs> you're, you're a kindred spirit. So good. That's a great one. Thank you for sharing that. Last one, readers or leaders? Uh, leaders are readers. I said it backwards. Leaders are readers. What we're finding is the great leaders never say I'm done with my leadership or my learning journey. And I don't care if it's a book that you're reading or an audible you're listening to, or even if you want to flip it and go into the bite-sized chunks with podcasts or blogs, is there something that you would recommend leaders like put into like what they're processing as they work on their journey? Yeah, well, I'll tell you what I'm reading right now. Um, it's a book by Stanislaus Dekin. It's called How We Learn. Okay. Um, for, so I don't understand. It was something that I figured out a long time ago. Is like, how can we teach people if we don't truly understand how they learn? Right? Like just at I that I love core. that. And That's so, deep, man. You are a deep thinker, man. I love it. Well, yeah. And so like at a, at a high level understanding the optimal way to get knowledge into the brains of our sales organizations. And all of us as sales professionals, we're teaching our customers, we've got to optimize the way that we teach. And so that's an area that is a little counterintuitive that I'm uh, so like, I'm really doubling down focused on. I mean, there's so many other books on sales leadership, sales management that I yeah. love uh, that I've, you know, I've, you know, tears down the no. face reading this, but the how we learn, I think has gotten really interesting. I love it. Yeah. No, if you can learn how people learn, you can lead them better. That's exactly. exactly. Totally makes sense. All right, Todd, this was fantastic. I'm so grateful to you. We are, we are sure out of time. This was, this is another good one, man. We've had some great guests and, and you're just keeping that, that run going. I think it's Thank super you. timely right now. You're trying to find ways to make your team more successful. You're trying to make how we sell more important than what we sell. 
and, and this has been great advice on how you're going to be, you know, an apple to everyone else's orange, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You can differentiate in the way you sell, not just what you're selling. And I think this is a great way to do it because it's built on a foundation of trust. So there's going to be people who want to continue the conversation. How, how do they get more of you? How do they follow your content? How do they keep the conversation going? How do they do all that stuff? Yeah, I mean, I'm everywhere. You said it at the beginning. So like a, a simple Google search, you'll be annoyed at the explosion. But, uh, you know, connect with me on LinkedIn. I, and I appreciate it if you let me know where you found me. Uh, but, you know, LinkedIn is like the, the easiest path. But, you know, obviously you can get the book anywhere books are sold. Um, TransparencySale.com or ToddCapone.com is filled with videos and tips and blog posts and all kinds of stuff that'll help you along that there's, there's no gate on it. So just have at it. Todd, man, I don't know what I'm going to call you. If you're the ambassador of flossomeness, uh, you, you know, he's helping, he's helping create Sherpa salespeople around the world. There's all, I'll come up with something good, but he's doing all of those things, man. Awesome. Uh, he, he's helping people make in, in a modern way, how they engage someone and the actual experience of buying from you, uh, a compelling reason why we should do it. And so, Tom, I mean, so, Todd, I'm, I'm super appreciative to you. This has been a killer conversation. Thank you so much for joining us. And as I say to everyone, buddy, happy selling. All right, buddy. Thank you for having me. That was a blast. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another So What portion of the Sales Leadership Podcast, where we break down that interview and we ask ourselves, why did that conversation even matter? But first, I want to thank those of you that have joined my Patreon community, Sales Leadership United. It is amazing to see this community grow so quickly. Listen, I get tons of requests from sales leaders and salespeople around the world wanting to go deeper. Places like LinkedIn are awesome, but they're cluttered, they're noisy, and they're really limited in how you can create an impact. So I created Sales Leadership United to provide a community of sales leaders committed to becoming legendary leaders in the careers of those they lead. If you haven't given my Sales Leadership United community and Patreon a look, And if you enjoyed this podcast or any of my other content, please do me a solid and check out Sales Leadership United today. This is a tool that will help you make the second half of 2020 one that you can be proud of. I have much of the best content I've ever created organized in a way where you can simply search by topic to gain access to what I've seen work around the world. In addition, I have exclusive content available only to members of Sales Leadership United. Modern insights, frameworks, live trainings, coaching structure, and made-for-you sales meeting tools are all there for you to use right now. If you have ever liked anything I've shared on the podcast, please check out Sales Leadership United today at patreon.com forward slash sales leadership united. Okay, so transparency in sales. What a killer topic. I can't believe I've never spoken of it on the show after all of these episodes. Um, I'm so glad we had Todd join us today because I really feel like we're all better off if we stop what we're doing and we think about this one for a minute. Um, seriously, we've had a ton of shows, 300,000 downloads, some fantastic sales leaders from around the world join us. I've seen all kinds of frameworks. I've had killer blueprints, but nobody has really brought forward this topic. Um, that eight miling topic is something that we've talked about. And Kevin Dorsey is the guy that I kind of attribute it to, who's going to be on here again soon, by the way. Um, but I love the basis of the thinking transparency outperforms perfection when you're speaking with a customer. And, And the reason for this is transparency removes friction in the buyer journey 
and it makes it easier for them to buy because they don't have to go finding your flaws. They can just go confirming them. And I, 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 you know, if you don't know why Kevin Dorsey calls it eight mile and go watch that show eight mile last week, Armand Farouk referred to it. Uh, you had, uh, you had Todd talk about it again here. Um, you know, it's, it's basically that scene. He says now, you know, uh, Eminem says now tell you, tell everybody something about me. We don't already know. And so I really like this topic and the fact that Todd's put structure around it, I think is worth looking at right now. And I found myself really buying into what Todd was sharing with us. Help your customers do their homework. Make them sure that they know the flaws in advance. Don't make them go on a hunt for them. Because when we present ourselves as flawless, their subconscious will drive them to find the flaws. You know, that whole concept of if it's too good to be true, it probably is. Now, that's a reality most people are probably scared of. And so the game isn't if you and your product are perfect. No person's perfect, even though I've probably met a few people who think they are. And no product is perfect either. So the game really is how important your imperfections are to the buyer team and if they can live without them, right? And so helping people see imperfections as part of the process, early in the process, results in defense mechanisms coming down quickly. And you want those defense mechanisms down as as soon as possible so they can really start to connect with you. We shouldn't be in a sales engagement holding our breath, hoping people don't find our warts. Instead, we need to find people that will value the things that are not impacted by our warts. Did you catch the 61% stat that he talked about? 61% of sales cycle time is back-channeling and looking for flaws. That one really got my attention because um, cycle time is often a hard thing to coach to. I help a lot of people set coaching plans. Coaching to win rate can be challenged sometimes. Coaching to cycle time can also be a challenge sometimes. And, and this transparency deal, I, I really think he's onto something there that this can really help speed up cycle time. So if you really want to speed up the cycle time, cut that back channeling time. It seems like a big fat area that we can cut. And if you do it the way Todd suggests, you'll build trust. You'll build a relationship and you'll shrink that cycle time. This is also going to start to marginalize the blockers that you're up against. And I think the world will respond better to this now than maybe ever before because people are not making unpopular decisions. I can tell you that as we went into that pandemic, my first thought was for my company, how do we get every single renewal, right? It wasn't how do I close every single deal? Mine was how do I keep every customer I've got? And so to do that, I needed the renewal to be a popular decision. And that's a lot easier to do for a renewal than it is a net new. I already have budget. They already have working uh, relationship with us. And we were able to do that. We had a, a, a perfect score on renewals. Um, it's way easier to do that on renewals than net new because of that history together. And so I think Todd's insights are spot on. Let's make it easy for them to buy from us. Let's not make it so we're the know-it-alls. Let's not make it so we have a sophisticated product that they can't get their hands around. Let's, you know, address the 20% of the product that, you know, they really will use. And let's identify the kind of areas that it doesn't do things. And and let's make it easy for them to make a decision. Um, I, I, I really think that Todd's insights are so spot on because intent is always more than technique. And so if we're going to lose, we want to lose fast. Our intent should be to find if we're a match, not to find if we can slip a fast one by them, right? We need to qualify the matching deals in and qualify the unmatching deals out as fast as we can. 
We don't want to hold on to something just because we have wishful thinking. So listen, don't ever have your customers create gotcha moments when they do their own homework. Make sure we're only helping reinforce what we've already shared with them. This means we have to be okay with losing if they aren't a true fit. And that's when you gain power as a salesperson. So thanks to Todd for joining us. Buy his book. The transparency sale is something that could be a game changer. And, and I think it'll help you create a different experience for your customers. This is going to help you create an experience that will help each rep on your team stand out. It may feel a little different. It may feel a little awkward at first, but this will create an opportunity to have a customer tell you what they really care about. And once you know that, your chances of winning change fast. So not only thanks to Todd, thanks also to each of your listeners. The feedback continues to come. I love the interactions that I get each week with each guest that we have. I appreciate you mentioning us on LinkedIn. I appreciate your five-star reviews on iTunes. If you think we deserve them, please keep them coming. Uh, And and keep reaching out on the one-on-one. I I continue to have companies reach out on that. My offer still stands. Uh, I would love to review your one-on-one structure. No strings attached, not trying to sell you anything. Right now, the one-on-one is more important than it's ever been. If you have not had a chance to sit down and really take an audit, if you will, of what the one-on-one is doing or isn't doing and how you're doing it, please reach out to me. Uh, hit me up at rob at exvoyant.com, and let's figure out how we can make your one-on-one your most impactful resource. So here's to creating an experience with your customers that builds trust and shortens sales cycles. As professional salespeople, we should never have customers dodging interactions with us. It'll happen sometimes, but we can minimize it if they have experiences where we are more transparent than the others they work with. And to that, I wish each of you success with your teams. Thanks for listening. Keep making the difference. And as always, don't worry, just execute, because we got you. Thanks for joining us for the Sales Leadership Podcast, your weekly pipeline to the most successful thought leaders and rainmakers in sales. Make sure to check out additional episodes at salesleadershippodcast.com. The Sales Leadership Podcast is produced by Brian Jepson and is sponsored by Exvoyant, the modern sales leadership platform for salesforce.com users. You can visit Exvoyant at exvoyant.com.